Hey, so prior to being called into pastoral ministries, I was in retail management. Um, and I worked for Radio Shack. Does anybody remember Radio Shack? Does anybody not know what Radio Shack is? A couple of people not paying attention because I know they're too young. There's just no way, right? Um, what my job was there was to carry out the vision, the mission, and the values of a company. I worked there for like 15 some years and I ran one store and I oversaw four others. Why am I telling you this? Because all businesses function from a consumeristic mindset. We have goods, you have needs, come get them. Essentially, that's it, right? I had a P&L. What they cared about is that I made money for the company. It was not confusing. I like that. It was easy, right? How Radio Shack would say it is, you've got questions, we've got answers. By the way, our answers cost money, and we'll help you get that, right? And it costs a lot of money. Um, our mission, though, was to demystify technology for the mass market. That's why we existed, right? I knew it. I knew it's the core. My job was to make sure every employee knew that, worked towards that end, and labored towards that end. How did we do? Good question. For a while, we actually did great. You may not even remember that, but Radio Shack at one time was a Fortune 500 company, and we were making tons of bank, right? But electronics, I mean, we even invented the first computer, you're like, why did I come here for this kind of lesson? Listen, hang in there. It'll all make sense. We invented the first computer, the Tandy computer, right? Um, you would think we would be rolling in cash. You invented the first computer. And unlike Al Gore, we actually did invent it. He did not invent the internet. We did invent the first computer. You think, we got tons of money. Well, we did for a while. But what happened is throughout time, we had mission drift. We took our eye off the ball. We tried to do everything, and we stopped doing anything well. And, and when that happens, the organization dies. It happens. It happened to Radio Shack. They eventually became, they were the Titanic at one time, hit an iceberg, sunk, totally bankrupt. There are none at all in the United States. You'd be like, that's not true. I know of one. Yes, it's a franchise, and they've refused to change their name. But the corporation's done. It doesn't exist. Why do I tell you this? Well, because the same could be true of a local church. The key is to hear the word local. Jesus will build his big C church. He's doing it everywhere right now. That's what he's doing. And it's flourishing. That's not what I read in the newspaper. Actually, the newspaper doesn't ever talk about church. That's not what I read in an article online. Well, I want you to know, Jesus is Church is alive and well. There's like 2.8 billion Christians right now on the face of the earth. That's a lot. That's a lot. And, and so he will build his church. But local churches, they can live and they can die. Okay? And, and what happens is, and I, we've seen it. Kevin and I have been talking about it for years. But the church is not a business. It's not. It's a family. Okay? It's important you get that. But there are functions of business in them, okay? And what can happen is a church can start to look at the business world and start to glean from it and grab things from it that might be good and might even be helpful. We can learn from the world. But the problem is, is when we take hook, line, and sinker, everything that's doing, and our method and, and, and really our mission starts to become infused with ideals that come from the world, not from the Bible. And I think that's what we've seen. Um, when I first got into ministry, I saw it. I'd go to big conferences, and you know, and it was just they're shooting people out of cannons. You got the bounce houses, you got the light show, you got the haze machine, you got a lot of things, and it'd be hard to hear Jesus died on a cross to save sinners. 
And I was like, what is this place? Because I was inoculated within business for years. And I'm like, there's not a lot of difference here except you got some spirit sprinkles on it. And it was, it was really disheartening. As a matter of fact, it was infuriating. Um, why? Because, because it was man-centered. It was consumeristic. And it was an embarrassment to the gospel. And you're like, oh man, he's one of those angry old preachers. Half of that is true. I am old, I am a preacher, I, I'm not angry, but I am jealous for the things that, jealous, that God is jealous for, right? What happened there? Why did this happen? Essentially, it's because the story and the glory of the church became bigger than the story and glory of God. That's why. I have a, fr a dear friend in this church service named Ryan who worked for the largest church in America. And we've talked about it. We've had many great conversations, many, many good coffees, and, and trying to dissect where did we err, where did we go off? Because you need to know. You've all seen it, you've all heard it, whether you recognize it or not. Do you, you know what I mean? Right? Like, this could be a church advertisement. We have what you want. We do, right? What, we have what your family likes. We have stuff for your kids. We have sports and art stuff for your teens. We have all the self-help studies that you could ever desire. We have great cappuccino, music that you won't hate, services that won't impose on your Sunday schedule so that you can get to the Steeler football game. We have, we have language that will make you feel comfortable, like you're hanging out with your buds. We have hipster pastor, you don't, that will make you feel cooler than you actually are. Come and get it at SSC Church. What's S-S-S-C? Seeker Sensitive Sappy Church. I made that up. You can tell because it's not that clever. But, but that's really, that's the, now they don't say it that way, but that's how they advertise it. And it's, it's a shame. The church has seen such a mission drift, especially here in the United States. And I don't want to be down on the church in the U.S. because I want you to know there's great churches in the U.S., there's tons of them. Some of them are in this city, and they have welcomed us with open arms, supported us, encouraged us, gave us money, pray for us. They're, they welcomed us, right? I thank God for these churches. I meet with these pastors every other Thursday. We pray and labor for this city in that way. We're on the same team. We are family, right? We're family. So I don't want you to think that this is true of every church. That's, an, that's, that's not true. You can be a big church and all about Jesus. You can be a small church and all about Jesus. You can be a big church, not about Jesus. You can be a small church and not about Jesus. It's about what do they exist for? What do they do? What do they function like? Not just their mission statement, because I don't actually care what your mission statement says unless you do it. That's what matters. You can have a great mission statement. You can go online, mission statement for a church, boom. It'll be biblical, it'll be theological, you'll like, yeah, I could do that, but then they don't do it. What you believe has to inform what you do. And if we get that in reverse, what happens is you can do a lot of things that you think are good, but actually you end up messing it up because your foundation's wrong. The consumeristic approach we've taken to church life in the United States is collapsing when I talk about the consumeristic mentality. By the way, I think it's great. Why? Because way too many churches have favored pragmatism over theology, crowds over disciples, marketing over evangelism, coffee bars over gospel-rich communities on mission. 
for the sake of Christ. We've created a culture of coming and getting, right? Instead of belonging and giving sacrifice. We have. Thankfully, COVID, you never hear those words together. <laughs> you don't. But, that, but, but here's the beauty. God is sovereign. He uses all things for his glory. He is not limited in any way. If that wrecks your theology, good. Get a new one. COVID has helped usher in the death of consumeristic Christianity here in America. Now, it still has a pulse, and I still see it, but it will die. And I, for one, am excited to go to the funeral. Right? Like, I just can't wait. I'll dress up for it and everything. By the way, that's the only time you ever see me in a suit, married or buried. And if you're getting buried, you won't see it. I don't think. Right? You'd be looking down. It'd be strange. Um, the New Testament church is a come and see people. We're not. That's what, we, that's what we promote. We're a go and tell people. Big difference. Big difference. Yeah, we gather in order to scatter. That's why we gather, to worship and to enjoy. So where do the people of God go from here? That's the question. Where do we go from here? That is the question. And I've, been, I've been working on it and haunted by it for at least, this is not hyperbole, nine years. Nine years. Nine years. What we need is not something new, but something that's timeless. We need the Word of God to inform what we do, which is why, by the, as for the city church, we went through the book of Acts. By the way, what a messed up people. Everybody's like, I want to go back to the old days like it was in the Bible times. No, you don't. And if you do, it's similar. We just have technology now, right? What a jacked up people then too, right? We need so much grace as God's people. We don't have it figured out. We don't have all the answers. We need the Holy Spirit to help us every moment of every day. God help us. So, but what do we do? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the month of January. Okay, that's what we're going to talk about. I'm convinced that what you're going to see from our mission statement is not something that Kevin and I have cooked up, but something that is commanded in the scripture. And if it's commanded in the scripture, then you ought to embrace it, joyfully submit to it, and give your life to it. And if you won't do that here, my encouragement is find a church that has a biblical mission statement and do it there. I'm serious. Do it there. Give your life to something bigger than you. So what is our mission statement? We try to put it places. You can't really see it, but it does match, and it's kind of cool, right? We exist as a church to magnify Jesus, first and foremost. That is vision, by the way. That's the aim. That's the why we do everything. The how we specifically do it as a church is by making disciples. Not just any disciple, because this big consumeristic church is making disciples. They're just bad. They're bad disciples. Not like bad, but they're, they're not healthy. They're not good. They're not biblically minded. They're about themselves. That's not a New Testament disciple. So we want to do this, magnify Christ by making disciples who share with their mouth gospel, show transforming power of, of the truth of the word in the way that we live, the way that we act, the way that we do everything, right? And plant churches that multiply. All, all January, that's all I'm going to talk about. That's all I'm going to talk about. 
And, and God willing, that's what we'll seek to do here. So, you ready? Point one, God's glory is the goal of everything. God's glory, you see it right on your paper if you have great eyes or a magnifying glass. It's the goal of everything. God's glory is huge all throughout the Bible. It's a huge theme. Therefore, it's a big deal to us. We don't start with what do we want to do. We start with what is God doing? Any church worth its weight is saying, what is God doing in the world? What has he commanded? How do we do that now? Right? That's, that's what we do. Well, all throughout the Bible, you see that God is seeking to glorify himself. What, what does that mean, though? Glory, magnify. What is that? It's actually hard to communicate, to be honest with you. It's like, describe beauty. Describe beauty. If, if anyone's ever asked you that, that's harder than you think. You, you can say, well, I'll show you this. I think that's beautiful. No, but I'm saying, tell me what it means. So it's hard to communicate, but it's, it's weight. It's, it's magnificent. It's, the glory of God is stunning beauty and supreme greatness for all that God is. That's how I would say it. You could probably look up some better theologians and see a better, succinct thing. But it's, it's just, it's weight. You see it and poof. Whoa. That's amazing. That's stunning. That's glory. That's what it means. Read Isaiah 6. But, but here's the thing. So I want you to see that this is what God is doing in the world ever since the world has come into existence. And actually, I'd say even before that, he glorified himself forever and for always because he's always existed. There was never a time there wasn't God. This is what he's doing. So I'm going to give you a survey of text. You will not be able to keep up. You're like, oh, it's a challenge. I'm telling you, you won't. But you can write them down. But what I want you to do, listen, faith comes by hearing. I want you to listen to the text that I'm reading because I want you to see this is not an obscure thing, right? So listen as I read. We will have one text we land on. This is not them. This is a survey. Ready? So, is, by the way, is that, it's got to be a new concept for many of you that God his aim in everything he does is to glorify himself, to show himself magnificent, to show himself stunningly beautiful and great. That's, that's got to be new because it's not taught in most churches. And yet you can't help but see it all throughout the Bible. Okay, ready? Isaiah 48, 9 through 11. Listen to the words. For my name's sake. So, God, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction for my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned or disrespected or defiled? My glory I will not give to another. If that's true of anything, it's true of a church. Right? So he continues, and, and now I'm just going to rattle them off. God created us for his glory. Where do I see that? Isaiah 43, 6 and 7. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I, God, created for my glory. 
it's, it can't be more, that's explicit. It's very specific. God called Israel for his glory. Where do I see that? Jeremiah 13, 11. I made the whole house of Israel, the whole house of Judah to cling to me, declares the Lord. Why? So that they might be for me a people, a name, a praise, and a glory. That's why they exist. God chose people for his glory in the New Testament. Where do I see that? All over the place, specifically Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, and 12 and 14. He chose us, and I know I'm throwing a ton at you, and you're only going to get a little bit. It's like trying to take a drink from a fire hydrant. It's going to peel your face off a little bit, but you will get something, I promise you. And you can go back and look at it, and if you want my notes, I will give them to you so that you can see this, so that you can study this, so that because if you don't see it in the Bible, don't believe me. But if you see it in the Bible, give your life to it if you say you love Christ. Okay? So Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, 12 through 14. He chose us. Oh, that's good news. Right? You and I didn't choose God. We were wandering in darkness far from Him. He he just reached down, the hound of heaven come and got you, opened your eyes to see His beauty, and you said, you're magnificent. You didn't do that. God did that. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Think on that the rest of your life. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love. He loves you. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To, here's the phrase, the praise of his glorious grace. With which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who has guaranteed our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. He's pretty serious about this. He's pretty serious. Jesus sought the glory of his father in all that he did. John 7, 18. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. A bunch of man pleasers, they want to be praised. But the one who seeks the glory of him, the father, who sent him, Jesus, is true. And in him there is no falsehood. Right? See it right there? Seeks the glory of God. Jesus told us to do good works so that God would get the glory. Matthew 5, 16, and a trillion other places. That's hyperbole. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that, you, so that they may see your good works. Why? So that you guys get high fives and everybody says how awesome you are. Wrong. So they will give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's why we do it couple more hang in there Jesus's ultimate aim for us is that we see and enjoy his glory John 17 24 father I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am why to see my glory that they have that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world Jesus is coming again we talked about that last week why for the glory of God 2 Thessalonians 1, 9 through 10. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day. Why? He comes that day to be glorified in his church, his saints, and to be marveled at. I love that. To be marveled at among all who believe because our testimony to you was believed. I want you to 
Hear what he's saying. I'm coming again to be glorified in the church, in the saints, and to be marveled at. That ought to cause some people to be very uncomfortable because what it's saying is, listen, if you don't marvel at Christ, he's not probably coming for you. If you won't marvel at him, enjoy him, love him, desire him on this side of heaven, you should be very uncomfortable. Because just to say some magic words is not a ticket out of hell. Listen, nobody wants to go to hell. That doesn't mean they love Jesus. Does not mean they love Jesus. Idiots don't want to go to hell. That doesn't mean they love Christ. He's coming for those who marvel at him. That's what faith looks like. It's not a magic incantation. And if you don't marvel at him, ask. Just ask. God, cause my heart to enjoy you, to love you, to desire you, to treasure you. Oh, God, help me. It'd be better than faking it, I promise. Habakkuk 2.14 says, God's plan is to fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. It's what he's doing, right? Habakkuk 2.14 says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's going to be stunning. That has not been fulfilled in the Old Testament, but it's coming. It is coming. That will happen. Last one. Revelation 21.23 says, in the new Jerusalem, the glory of God replaces the sun. Listen to what it says. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. The radiance of Christ will fill every ounce of space with His glory. That's what that just said. You do not need a sun. You do not need a moon. Why? Because everything will be brilliant light. Why? Because it's going to radiate from God. That's how he is now. If, the problem is, we are in a broken canister. You couldn't handle it. You, I mean, literally, you could not do it. It'd be like trying to hug the sun. Only a, a, a number I don't know worse. You couldn't. We need glorified eyes. We need glorified bodies to be able to do that. Thankfully, he provides everything. Do you see... By the way, that's half of the text I wanted to give you, but I was conscious of your time. God's ultimate goal is to uphold and display the glory of his name. Do you see it? I'm asking you, do you see it? God is unashamedly God-centered, not man or woman-centered. Unashamedly. And this is good, by the way, if you're like, oh, I don't know, this, this sounds a little strange. What about love? We'll get there. Because they're not in opposition with each other, I promise you. They're not in opposition at all. As a matter of fact, this is the grounds of him loving you. It is the grounds of him loving you. This is why a consumeristic version of Christianity is such a disgrace and a slap to the face of God. Because it makes you central but you're not central. Instagram tells me otherwise. I don't care what Instagram says. You're not central. Everybody's working to make themselves central. And I promise you, as you look around, they're more miserable now than they've ever been in their entire lives. This is why drugs keep going up. And I'm talking, I don't mean like, you know, right? Although that could be, I'm talking prescription drugs, therapy, this, that. And everybody keeps doing the same mantra. It's all about you. It's not all about you. 
And that's good news because you make a horrible God. I make a horrible God. What people need is not for you to be awesome. It's for you to recognize you're not awesome, but you have a stunningly amazing God. That's what you need. That's what the world needs. That's what I need. Because to build my life centered on me can't hold the weight. Which is why you see the collapse. What happened during the pandemic, by the way, is people realized they didn't go to church for a year and they were just as happy or just as sad as they were before and they don't need it. Why? Because they thought it was about them. They thought it was about them. So now everybody's like, how do we get them back? I know, bigger and better cappuccino. So stupid. It's just so stupid. I know, we need to do this. We need to have... No, you need to get back to... Praying that God would cause their hearts to burn for him. And then put as much kindling around that fire and ask the Holy Spirit to just breathe some oxygen and set it aflame. That's, that's what we're seeking to do here, in case you're curious. The reason it's such a sham is because they're not concerned about the story and glory of God. Instead, they're concerned about the story and the glory of their own agendas. They really are. I heard it said one time, the ABCs of church. Attendance, buildings, cash. That's how we measure. How are we doing? How many, how many butts are in the seat? Well, you, by the way, that's, that's a measurement you need to have. But Barnum and Bailey... Has a lot of butts in the seats, at least before COVID. Everybody went to the circus, right? That's not a church. Buildings. We've got to have more buildings. Buildings are a necessity. You're in a building. Here we are, right? You like it? You got paint falling off, toilet paper thing covering up that hole. You're like, I would have never noticed that. Thanks for pointing that out. Now I'm distracted. It, but it's just serving an, an end. It's so that we're not out in the cold. If we were in San Diego, we could maybe be outside. And some of you are like, we're in the cold right now because you have windows open. I know because I sweat. A lot. Thanks for bearing with me. If you're new to the church, sit on this side. If you're cold, bring a blanket. Bring a coat. You know, you know cuddle up if it's your spouse um, or your kids. I am distracted. It's good, though. This kind of church uses God as a means to their end. Oh, God have mercy. May God have mercy. And he, and he will. He loves his church. I'm not saying they're not his people, but he'll bring discipline and correction in. I'm not saying that's why the pandemic happened, but he'll use it for his glory and for his bride's good. And I think that's what we're seeing. Why? Because that kind of mentality rails against God's command to spread out and spread his glory. Instead, what happens in that church setting is they seek to make a name for themselves and build their buildings to the heavens. Sound familiar? Read it this week if you're reading with us. God's first commitment, listen, is his own glory. Mark it down. Therefore, that should be the foundation of every church, not just for the city. Every church. The question that should come to mind then, why doesn't it say we exist to glorify God by making disciples? I, thought, I had to think through that a little bit. 
when I first came up with the, the, the well, when, let's say when I thought through the language of our mission statement. Why doesn't it say, see, we say we exist to magnify Jesus by making disciples. Why doesn't it say we exist to glorify God by making disciples? Well, you could say because it's the same thing. I think it is a little bit different, and, and now I'm getting into the nuance, but I want you to see the nuance because I want you to embrace it, and you won't embrace something if you don't understand it. So if you don't understand it after this time, that's okay. Let's keep on having those conversations. The reason is, the reason we make our aim to, to magnify Christ and everything's about Jesus is because we believe that that's what brings God the most glory. Where do I see that? In the scripture is the question you should be asking right now. Good question. Colossians, this is our main text. 1, 13 through 20. So if you have a Bible, you should open it. If you don't, that's okay. You can listen as I read. But I really want us to, to start moving in that direction I would love a day where we just don't, and I don't say this to guilt. Guilt's a horrible motivator. It'll get things done in a short term, but, it, but it, you'll never maintain the habit. Grace and glory, there's so many reasons to do it. I want you to have it open because I want you to see it. Oh, because if you see it, if God will give you eyes to see it, I can sit down. I can sit down, I'm done. I can sit down. So you're like, well, if that'll help you sit down, we'll all open our Bible. That was funny to me. <laughs> Point two, it's all about Jesus. Okay, point two, where do I see that? Colossians 1, 13 through 20. He, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. Oh, thank you, God. If you're here and you're trusting in Christ, you were in the domain of darkness. He, God, in his kindness, ripped you out of that and put you into the kingdom of his beloved son, where he rules, where he reigns, where grace and mercy flows. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for rescuing me. And it goes on, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Listen, if you're sitting here and you're trusting in Christ for your salvation, all your sins are gone. As far as the east is to the west, they're gone. You're as white as snow. I love when it snows. I love it. You're like, you freak. You're the weirdo. You live in PA. It does it every year. Less and less, but it does it. I love it because it just, it makes the city, which is dirty. I'm looking at a nasty, dirty building. Everybody can look at it now. You're distracted, but it makes it look clean. The imagery that God gives there is you're nasty, you're defiled, but God's grace covers you and you're as white as snow. Not grimy snow, pure, perfect, white snow the forgiveness of sins. All right, here's where it's going to go into what I would say is probably the most condensed, amazing text in all the Bible when it comes to Christ. Ready? He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, make peace by the blood of his cross. That's an amazing text. It deserves your memorization. You should memorize that text. Take it as a challenge. Do it. If not, Jesus still loves you. 
but you'll understand his love more if you do it. I promise you, you will. I'm going to run down through those verses again because I want you to see Christ all through it. Verse 14 says, in Jesus we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin, right? Verse 15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning he is the fullest, he is the deepest revelation of God. He's the exact imprint. I wonder what God's like. Look at Christ. That's exactly what he's saying. You want to know my father? Look at me. Look at me. Oh, it's so hard to understand God. It is. But he revealed himself to you through the person and work of Christ. He reveals himself to you through the word of God by his spirit, which dwells in all human beings who trust and believe in Jesus Christ, not just those who speak in tongues. That's for a friend in the service. I want you to know that. I want you to know that all who trust in Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit. Have Him. He's a gift. He's a friend. He is your helper. In verse 15, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That could be confusing, but what it means is He's specially honored. He's Adam 2.0 of the new creation. That's all it means. It does not mean that Jesus is a created being. Jesus is fully divine and fully human. One person of a triune God. Okay? One God, three distinct persons. Father, Son, Spirit. Verse 16. By Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, which means you, you, who? You, you were created. I'm talking to you. Were created. For what? To do whatever I want? No. For Christ. For a purpose that in this moment, in this exact time in history, God knit you in your mother's womb to bring him glory in a specific way. Your life has purpose. What is it? To glorify him. Oh, well, that's not how I live. I know it's time to change. Verse 16. All things were created for Christ. All things exist for Jesus. Over and over it says it. They exist to make his glories known. Verse 17, Jesus is before all things. Verse 17 again, in Jesus all things hold together. Birds do not drop from the sky unless King Jesus says, you can drop. Snow does not fall from the sky unless King Jesus sovereignly says, you can snow. I don't know if he has to say it or if he has to think it. I don't know how it functions like that. But nothing happens in this world, apart from the sovereign, ruling, reigning God of the universe, King Jesus, who's seated at the right hand of the Father, allows it. Now, what does that do to you when you think about things that come into your life that uh, aren't that pleasant, like suffering? Hang in this church with us. You'll find out, but not today. All right. So there. Jesus is the head of the, the body, which is the church, the family of God, which means Kevin and I are under shepherds. Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the boss. He's the boss. We're trying to do what he says. That's all we're seeking to do, which is why we so desperately need your prayers. Because <laughs> we're entrusted to care for you in that way. But, but we have to break down the thought that there's a professional pastor. There's not. The reason we think that is because we don't actually ever get in the lives of the people who actually are trusted to lead you and care for you. They're up on a stage. And so it's, it's so easy. You know how easy it is to keep your stuff together for an hour and a half? You're like, really hard for me. I know. We'll pray for you. But for most people, it's pretty easy. 
It's pretty easy to look like you got it all together. We don't. I need the same grace of God as you need. Well, then why are you leading us? Because God has called me to do that. Where do you see that in the text? Wait till Titus. You'll see who God's called. I'm just keep giving you feelers. Keep coming back. <laughs> right? Why? Because I want you to see glory. I want you, because if that happens, it's all, it's all done. You will gladly and joyfully submit your life to King Jesus and give yourself to this mission. Whether it's here or whether it's anywhere, that's what you do. Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. Lastly, and I skipped a couple. I mean, don't miss that Jesus is preeminent. It means he's first. He's first. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Jesus is reconciling all things, whether on earth and in heaven. The last piece is he makes peace by the blood of his cross. Which means, listen, real quick, if you're, in, if you're not trusting in Christ for your salvation, that means you don't have peace with God right now. You, you don't. That should terrify you if you're thinking. But Christ has made a way for you to have peace with a holy God as a sinful human by, it's so explicit, going as a substitute and sacrificing himself on a cross in your place. Why? Because that makes God look stunningly good when mercy and, and wrath kiss at the cross. It's for his glory. But boy, is that a benefit to you. So that's why it's not separate. Love and glory. It's the thing that, it, that is the mountaintop of his glory. Is his grace displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is why we talk about it all the time. So do you see, it's all about Jesus, not us. And that's good news because that is the grounds for God's grace and love in our lives, seen throughout the Bible. Jesus is not a means to, the, to an end. He, he's not there to serve you in that way. It's not primarily about you, although he does serve you. He does love you. He will discipline you for his glory and for your good. Why? Because he is committed to making sure every tongue, every knee, every knee will bend, every tongue will confess. No one has a choice whether they glorify God. They all, every human being will glorify God, either in his grace, in his pardoning, or in his wrath. Oh, let it be grace. Now, confess, Christ, your Lord, I believe that. Thank you. And if you believe that, it's because you opened your eyes. Jesus is the great end of all things. All things exist for Christ. They exist to make his glories known. Jesus must get the glory. He is first. He is preeminent. If you can see that, now I can go to the third and final point, and we'll finish out. That's why for the city church exists to magnify Christ. Why? Because that's why all things exist. I, you need to see logic. Prepositional phrases. These things matter. Because if I just get up here and I just start shouting off my mouth a bunch of things that don't matter and are not found in the Word... You might get excited, but when you leave here, you're going to go get something that's a little more enjoyable, and it's probably going to be at Starbucks, and you're going to forget everything I said. But if you can see, if you can see, it will shape how you do everything in your entire life. You need to see it. You need to see it. Preaching is nothing more than logic on fire. Truth, fire. Word, spirit. 
right? Martin Lloyd-Jones said that. You need to see it. So if that's the case, for the city church exists to magnify Jesus, this is why Kevin and I and many of the others who have moved here and those who actually were here have, have joined us get out of bed in the morning. This is why we exist. That's not why I exist. Time to change. This must be the fuel for everything that we say, do, and think. All decisions that we do as a church will flow from the vision to to magnify Christ. And there's 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 a trillion ways to do that, but there's specific ways we will do that. There's things you could do that will do that that we won't do. Why? Because it's not what we're about. And you might say, well, that's a good thing. I know a church down the road is doing it. Praise God. We're not going to do it, though. Unless it meets that mission. And there's a bunch of things we can do to do that. Why does this matter? Because when I was at a conference called CrossCon, okay, and if you've not heard of it, it doesn't matter. There's a man there named John Piper. And he said this, and I I want you to hear this quote and and think about it. Missions exist, okay? So listen, he says, missions is not the ultimate goal. Oh, this is so important that you get this. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Okay, that's statement one. Worship is. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. You getting the point? Here's what he says then. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. If, If you don't get that and you go on mission with your life, you'll burn out because eventually the people you're trying to reach won't care about you. And you'll get discouraged because you made them central, not God. This is the only way you're going to love people who don't love you. This is the only way you're going to love enemies who, who hate you, who revile you. And you're going to continue to pray for them. You're going to continue to love them. Why? Because it's not primarily about them. It's about God. And me loving someone who reviles me looks a lot like my Savior. And that pleases Him. You get that? That's why worship is always the aim. What is worship? Worship is an act or to act or to live in such a way to show our heart's value or treasure the glory of God among, above everything else. That's worship. This is why we don't say, hey, time to worship when we sing. And you might think, oh, that's weird. Isn't that what worship is? It is, it is worship. But it's not primarily worship. Preaching's worship. The way you eat a burger, if you will eat it in a such a way that shows, I love Jesus more than I love this burger. But oh, Jesus, thank you for giving me this burger with bacon smothered all over it. Will magnify him. That's worship. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat, whether you drink, or whatever you do, that's all inclusive. Do all things in such a way that glorify God. How do you do that? If you don't know, it's all, it's so simple. Whatever it is, whether it's marriage, whether it's sex, whether it's children, whether it's this, whether it's that, you do those things in a way that says, I love Jesus more than I love all of this because he's my creator. This is a created thing and it's a gift from a God who loves me. Therefore, I receive it with thanksgiving and that brings him glory, not your burger, not your marriage, not your kids, not your sex. Those are all good gifts from a good God. And so we give him praise. So magnifying Christ is about all your life, not something we do on Sunday morning. Do you get it? Everything. There is no sacred secular divide. Now, there might be in your life you need to 
change. You don't have Jesus time and me time. I don't know, that's so, boy, is that so different than what the world and even some of the churches are teaching you. But, but listen, if you understand every moment of every day is an opportunity to magnify Christ with your life, you will be a much happier and peaceful person because you were created to be dependent, not independent. It's so good to know. You can't fake it. I mean, you might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool Kevin. You might be able to fool the people around you, but you cannot fool God. Matthew 15, 8 through 9 says that he's talking about people who, who fake it. He says, this people honors me with their lips. They say nice things. They, they even probably Instagram a couple things or put it on Facebook. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And then he says the most, it's, it's terrifying, in vain, meaning meaningless, do they worship me. There's a way to worship God that's meaningless. What's that, what's that way? It, it's when your heart doesn't actually love them. You just show up, you just do the thing, you sing the song, but you could give a rip about Jesus. He says, you worship me in vain. Is that you? In church this size, I, I almost don't even do this, but I don't want to ever do an injustice to you because it might be you. It might be you. It, it's been me at times in my life. It's, it's been me. My heart's been cold towards the Lord at times. But is that you? If so, when your heart is far from God, worship's vain. It's empty. It's non-existent, no matter how much you attempt to fake it. And so I would say, don't fake it. L- listen to me. Don't, don't fake it. For what? So that people will be like, oh, who cares? <laughs> when you get to the point where you don't care about that, that's freedom. Come into the light. Admit it. Well, you, you're not going to tell God something he doesn't know. Just... Gosh, I've been doing the thing. It's just my heart is so cold. Because what will happen in that moment? Listen, refreshment comes in repentance. It does. Just admit it. It'd be so much better that you would admit it than just to keep coming here and, and grieving the Holy Spirit, pretending you're something you're not. Don't do that. Because God will honor that confession. Oh, and he will give you so much help. He loves to help people like that. Just read the Psalms over and over. David, I thirst like a deer who pants, yet I'm still thirsty. Oh, God, help me. You are my helper. Help me. Help me. Help me. Help me. Over and over, he says that. Pray through the Psalms. Read the Word of God. Get in community. Share that. And if someone shares that with you, don't be like, ah! You don't love Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Don't, don't be surprised. Say, oh, sister, oh, brother, let me pray for you. How can I encourage you? How can I encourage you? Come alongside them. Because the world has enough fake veneer Christianity. Oh, ah, like seriously, I can go back into business and still worship Jesus for the remainder of my life. And if that's the church we would build, I will. I just, I'm peace. I'm done. I tap out. Because being a pastor is not my identity. Being his son is. And I can do that anywhere. 
We're going to do that anywhere. So we're, just, we're not going to do that here. If you're doing that, seriously, just come into the light. Submit. Admit and worship the Lord. So in our quest for real worship, genuine worship to Jesus, we're praying and trusting God for grace and a gift of sight. Now, let me tell you what I mean by that. What I mean by that is you don't have to tell someone to worship. Matter of fact, you can't command it. You could, but they can't just be like, oh, okay, flip the switch. Uh, where you'll see this, I'm telling you where I saw it, most prevalently was on a, a mountain, Cadillac Mountain. It's in Maine. It's stunning. If you've not been there, do it. And we were there for sunset, mostly, one-time sunrise. You've got to get up really early because it's the first place in the United States on the East Coast where the sun rises, okay? So you have to, like, leave your place at 2 in the morning. But we did it. Sunset's just as beautiful. I say stay in bed. <laughs> but we were there. We're on the mountain, and there's tons of people covering the mountain. And the, the sun starts to set over the ocean. Well, actually, not over the ocean. Over the mountain. But it's reflecting off the ocean, and it is stunning. I mean, I have pictures. If you want to see them, come to my house for lunch. I'll show you. There's your bait. Um, but my wife's cooking is better than my pictures, so come for that too. And come for community. Okay, enough of that. Everyone on that mountain, it was packed. Were, they were worshiping. I'm not saying they were worshiping God. I'm not saying that. But I'm going to tell you right now, all I heard was, oh, oh, wow. One guy, I'll never forget him. He raises his hands and he goes like this. Look at this. Look. I'm looking at Jess. It's like, we're such an amazing God. But they were all worshiping. They saw. They couldn't help but see. And when they saw, they were raptured into a moment. I don't mean like you're out of your clothes. If that's like not you, you don't get that. That's okay. What I mean is they were caught up in something so far greater than them that they could not help but worship. That's what worship is. We want to see that over and over with King Jesus. And that's why we're going to preach. That's why we're going to teach. That's why we're going to pray. We're going to labor towards that end. And you have to ask him for this gift because that's exactly what it is. Psalm 69.30 says this, I will praise the name of God with a song. By the way, you're commanded to sing. Oh, that's not like that song. I don't like the way you sing it. I don't like uh, Sing to the Lord. He will command your emotions, and eventually they'll catch up. Sometimes they won't. But then he says this, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. The, the reason I'm honing in on is that is because magnify. Let's land the plane here. Let's discuss this word magnify just for a moment, and that's where we're going to end our time. Ready? I got a lot of help from a man named John Piper. I already mentioned him once, but, but I, I used to feel bad about that, but I want you to know he got a lot of help from a man named Jonathan Edwards. And, and we all get a lot of help from people along the way. So I actually don't even feel ashamed. You're going to hear that come out in my preaching. Why? Because I think it's from the Bible, not from a particular man. Okay? So, but see, so he's, he's, he's influenced me in a great way in the way I preach, the way I teach, the way I live my life. He's discipled me in a lot of ways. I don't agree with him on a lot of things. And if we ever would meet, I'd tell him that. And then he would probably convince me I'm wrong because he's got a bigger brain than me. But, but here's the deal. Magnify. What does that mean? There's two types of magnifying. You guys know this, right? There's microscope magnifying, which is it takes a little tiny thing. You put it under there and you look at it and it makes it bigger. That's not what we're meaning when we talk about magnifying Christ. As a matter of fact, that would be blasphemy. 
That would be blasphemy. We don't have a tiny God that we need to like, oh, where's he at? But then there's telescope magnifying. This is when you look through a telescope and it takes something that seems so far away and it brings it into a stunning reality so that when you look in the sky and you see this little dot, you're like, ah, it's not that exciting. And then someone gives you a telescope, let's say the Hubble telescope. That's a pretty cool one to have. And you look through that. And as you look through that, you see galaxies. And they've always been there. And they're stunning. By the way, you should follow NASA Hubble Telescope on Instagram. It will cause you to worship the Lord. I promise you. Stunning realities. That's what we mean when we say we exist to magnify Jesus. We're not making a small God look big by the way that we live because we're so awesome. We're saying we want to be a people used for God's glory to bring the stunning reality of God into existence into people who can't see him. But you have to see him first. You can't help someone see what you adore if you don't adore him. You can't. Where do you see that in the text? Look at Matthew 13, 44. Last text of the night, day, whatever, where we're at. I don't even know. It's dark out. We're to live in such a way that we will show Jesus is most magnificent. Ready? Last text. By the way, when I say last text, I don't mean we're almost done. We are almost done, though. Matthew 13, 44. Listen, this is such an amazing parable pay attention because Jesus is telling his disciples this parable to get to the heart of what I'm trying to get at. So God help me get at the heart of what I'm trying to say. I'm saying a lot of things, but it's got one thing I keep trying to drill home to you. Treasure Christ, and that magnifies him. Right? Right? See it? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys the field. That's the parable. That's the parable. That's the parable. What, 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 what is it about that that has to do with what we're talking about? Well, picture the parable. Think about what, what, is, what is the truth trying to be communicated in that story? Well, imagine you and I were walking. Well, actually, just imagine you're walking in a field right now. Imagine it. You're walking in a field and all of a sudden you stumble upon treasure. It's treasure. It's, it's more valuable than anything you have, and it's more valuable than anything you could ever acquire in your entire life. It's treasure. You look around, and you're like, oh, I don't think anybody else is here. That's good. You look on some of the trees, no game cameras. You're like, okay, this is good. You cover it up, put some leaves there, Maybe a couple, you know, pine cones. Make it look very natural. And you just calmly walk away. And you pretend that, that really you haven't seen anything. And you just go home. And then you begin to gather all your stuff. And you start to throw it up on Facebook. Selling it on the marketplace. That's what my dad does now. So that you can gather. He used to be, by the way, side note, used to be a, a hoarder. Now he's like, I'm selling all my life. And it's pretty kind of cool, actually, because I don't have to deal with it then. But thank you, Lord. So, but here's the deal. He's, this man is selling everything so that he can acquire enough money to what? The text says to buy the field. Your friends and family start looking at you. You're selling everything. You sold your bed. You sold your comforter. What, to, what are you doing? You're like, I'm, just, I'm buying that field over there. You're selling everything you have to buy a field? What are you, 
are you, crazy? And they start to look at you, and they, they start to think, man, this guy's a few fries short of a Happy Meal. What's wrong with him? I wonder if COVID affected his brain. And, 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 and here's the thing. You're saying, I'm spying the field, and they look at you, and, and they're like, man, it's like you've grown horns or something. They say, that's so foolish. And you say, well, I have a feeling. I have a feeling that this, this field's pretty awesome. It's really going to change my life. And you smirk, and you just walk away. This is what the parable is saying. Why do you smile? Why do you smirk? Because <laughs> it says in his joy. Why? Because you understand that any risk is actually no risk in that moment to acquire the treasure you can never have apart from it. And so with joy, you fling it all away because that right there, whatever that is, is worth all your life, your savings, everything because it's real treasure. Now here's the thing. Jesus is not talking about a treasure in a field. He's talking about himself. He's talking about himself. The kingdom of heaven means the rule and the reign of King Jesus. This man is motivated by delight, not duty. Do you get it? Because if you don't get it, go back to the text. Seriously. He's saying, I would give anything to have you. And here's the beauty. Christ has given everything. What do you do? You receive. And when you receive the greatest treasure of all the universe, which is Christ, you will fling off everything for the sake of enjoying him. Not because you have to, because you don't do anything to receive him except trust that he's done everything. But when you do that, you'll fling everything else away and you'll love everything much less because you love him infinitely more. And when you love him infinitely more, guess what? You magnify Christ and you love people better. Why? Because they're not central to your life. Christ is. Therefore, I can love you even if you never love me back. That's how you glorify God. That's how you magnify Christ. I'm saying that's why we exist. Will you join me in seeking to do that with all of your life? Whether you're here or wherever you're at. Whether you're at this church or you're at another church. Will you do that? Because that is what God's doing in the world. And that's what he's called us to do. Oh, God, help us to do that. I love this vision. You're like, well, you came up with it. Yeah, I did. But really, I didn't. Because a church doesn't come up with a mission statement. It's given a mission statement. It's given a mandate. And I love it. Whatever Christ commands is always the best. Even if sometimes it doesn't feel like it. <laughs> and there's many times like that. I love being a part of this church. I hope you will too. Um, I, I want you to give your life to this. But, but God has commanded you to give your life to this. He's commanded you. So whether you're here or whether you're somewhere else, this is why you exist. We'll get into the specifics of how we do that in the weeks to come. But this is the mountaintop. And now we'll start working our way down through the valleys of how to do that. Okay? Amen? Will you join me in prayer? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us sight. <laughs> we would not give a rip about Jesus had you not cared and loved us first. But you sought us. You opened our eyes. 
You showed us the glories of Christ shown in the gospel. We were rebelling against you, running headlong towards hell. And in your grace and in your mercy, you ripped us up, gripped us up, opened our eyes, helped us to see the beauty of Christ. And therefore, since we've seen the beauty of Christ, we have flung ourselves upon you and received grace and mercy because of the what Christ has done upon the cross and in his resurrection. And so, Father, I pray that you would knit our hearts together to be on mission to bring you glory individually and corporately. God, let that be our aim in life. For anybody who's just working through the thought of that, Lord, I just pray you give so much grace and mercy right now to help them understand it. That, Lord, that even if they don't understand it, they would just keep walking with you and that you would keep on showing them because you're a kind, patient God. And so, Father, be glorified magnify Christ in and through this people for your name's sake, for the beauty and renown in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask. Amen.